My name is Keith Case, and we're glad to have you all here tonight. Um, it's a special night for me. Uh, probably the first person that I met from West Palm Beach a while ago was down in Miami, and I was at a training. I was a church planner there, and this guy showed up with a bunch of tattoos all over him, and I was like, man, who is this guy? Where's he from? And he said he was from Fort Lauderdale, and then it all made sense to me. So I was like, that's right. And... Um, but, but Bryce was one of the first people I ever met um, from Fort Lauderdale, and then um, he was a part of a church plant here called Truth Point, some of you might know, um, and uh, really helped get things going there at Truth Point, and then went off to seminary in Boston and got involved with an organization there called Made to Flourish, which I'm also a part of here, and he kind of ushered me into that organization. And I got to go visit uh, Boston probably two years ago or three years ago now, um, and uh, it was the day after the Patriots had won the Super Bowl, or it was like the, the week after or something, and they had their celebratory parade. And I'd never been to Boston before, and Bryce took me downtown, and everybody had on Timberlands, and uh, they were yelling, Tommy, Tommy, and it was the most Boston day ever. So um, I, got, I got baptized pretty quickly into the culture there. But really what was the highlight of the trip for me was to walk around um, – Bryce's community, where he and his family live, and to get a sense of his calling there to that area and to that neighborhood, and then to hear about his church, which he's going to share with you all about, uh, where he pastors now. But he's a man from this area, from South Florida, and we'll always have him back if he ever wants to come back to South Florida. Um, could you guys give him a warm South Florida round of applause, though, as he comes up here to lead us tonight? Good evening, church. Now, uh, can I, thank you, Danny. Good evening, church. I, I hate call, I, I don't usually do call and response, but I miss it in my congregation. So, uh, band, uh, Danny and the team, Sarah Claire, everybody, wonderful job, amazing. Thank you so much. Um, sound engineers, great. I mean, even the sound, you got the stuff going. Can you do, uh, can you cue up some amens in case? So the church, because the church that I pastor is a Baptist church, and I get amens here and there. Now, Keith, you don't count, because I know Keith can throw one out, but I need like at least one amen tonight. All right, we're getting started on the right, on the right track. Um, hey, everybody, my name is Bryce, and um, I want to tell you all about my church. I want to tell you a little bit about this passage, uh, but I'm supposed to read it, so I should read it now, right? Okay, let me, let me read it. If you uh, brought your Bible then you're one step ahead of me because I, for, I forgot my Bible in Boston. Can you believe it? I'm here on vacation. And, of course, we have them on our phones and everything like that. But, uh, so it, but in front of you is a Red Pew Bible. You can grab one. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. You can turn there or scroll there or whatever. And I'm going to read just right the last chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Uh, I'm going to read a part of it. It's a little bit long, so I want to ask for your attention. I don't have any, anything funny right now. It's just going to be words on a screen, so I hope you can enjoy it. Uh, ask you to enter this space. I'm going to read, and then we're just going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, this is Luke 24, and this is uh, on the road to Emmaus. I'm going to read this. 
Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up. That's my son, don't worry about it. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, "Uh, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Uh, They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped that he would be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Then some of the companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they they didn't see Jesus. And he, Jesus, said to them, how foolish are you? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread. Gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? May the Lord bless the reading of his word, for it is living and active. May he bless all of us in the listening of his word. May he bless the messenger. His sins are many, but his God is very forgiving. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable. In the sight of our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Can I get an amen? Uh, my name is Bryce. Uh, it's good to be here. Like, it's really good to be here. In fact, um, this building even, uh, we came to Providencia, I think last year or the year before that, and worshiped with you. Uh, amazing church. We love Keith. Keith is kin. Uh, Providencia is, is kin to South End Church, whether you know it or not. Uh, there's family here, and uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I love what God is up to in the city of West Palm Beach. I've been gone for six years. Uh, We were here for four years prior to that, Um, but there are churches everywhere. I mean, starting all the time, churches are being revitalized, Uh, work is being done, God is at work in this city. It's exciting to hear the stories from Keith 
and some of the other churches. Do you know, by the way, how many churches are in West Palm Beach? Do you know how many churches? For those of us who, who took finite math in college, you'll like this number. Um, there's one. There is one church in the city of West Palm Beach. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And to the degree that we love one another is to the degree that we have an opportunity to invite other people to follow Jesus. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Uh, God is at work in the city of Boston in the same way. Churches are working together. We're collaborating. We're co-creating. Uh, we're making culture in the city. It's exciting to watch. Um, Boston kind of has a reputation. You know, of course, it's very physically cold. That's why I'm here. Like, it's, it's just a, a treat to be in warm, to have short sleeves, and it's just a gift. But it has a reputation of being spiritually cold, too, a little distant, disconnected. I have good news for you. Uh, there's a quiet revival taking place in the city of Boston. God is at work. Uh, now, they're not the traditional churches, large steeples like this building here. These are primarily non-white, non-Western churches. Uh, these are families, communities coming from Latin America, Asia, um, starting new churches in our city. Um, and those churches are multiplying. It's really exciting to see. God is at work. Uh, like Keith said, um, Pastor Keith and I uh, both work for an organization called Made to Flourish. So we both work with pastors in our city to help them think about work, like real work, like your work, you know, Monday through Friday, eight hours a day, you know, five plus days a week, 300 plus days a year. Does God care about that time? Of course he does, right? But in what ways? And so Keith and I have an opportunity to do that. Uh, but my main responsibility in the city of Boston is my privilege is to be the pastor of South End Church. Uh, South End Neighborhood Church started in 1971. So here we are coming up to 50 years. Jubilee's coming up. You know, I'm starting to like read my books on Jubilee. I totally forgot about it, but... I'm going to get back into a jubilee. It's our 50 years, and, and our church is um, it's a special place. Uh, in 1971, in the south end of Boston, there was a rescue mission called the Emanuel Gospel Center, and that rescue mission had been serving at that time for about 50 years, uh, focused primarily on the most vulnerable in the city of Boston, uh, people that were experiencing homelessness, people who were experiencing trafficking as of more recently, drug and alcohol addictions, uh, you name it. The Emmanuel Gospel Center was a place for you to come, but there was no church in that place. They were a social service, they were a nonprofit, but they were in a local community where you can just be. And uh, so our church started as a result of that need, and so our church for those 50 years has been a safe space for anybody in our city who wants um, to be in the whole city, uh, who wants a, a church that reflects the city of Boston. Um, our church is uh, radically diverse. Uh, it's, our vision is a beloved community bringing faith to life. Um, those are our core values in just a few words. We are beloved. Our identity is built on God's love for us. Um, not so much our love for God, although it's there, it's evident, it comes out in so many different ways. But our primary motivation is in all the songs that we sung is God's approval of us, his well-pleased with us, his love for us. He's so proud of us, right? He doesn't just love you, he likes you. And uh, so you are his beloved, and that's a core identity, but we're also a beloved community. Uh, we believe that community is essential, right? 
Uh, Greg Boyle, Father Greg Boyle, who's out in California, talks a lot about this, right? We love this idea, justice and peace. We want justice and peace. Raise your hand if you want justice and peace. Um, we want these things because we think if we get justice and peace, then kinship will flow. We'll all sit across the table from one another. But uh, Father Greg Boyle provides this counterintuitive perspective, and he says, no, what if we just sat across the table from one another? What if we started by getting to know one another's names, people that were very different from us? You start to see justice and peace develop, and uh, our church is a, an example of that. So I've only inherited it. It's been uh, a few years. Uh, prior to that, I was at another church for four years in the city, and uh, it's been a radical experience, uh, a beloved community bringing faith to life. Right? And so that happens in a very traditional way. And Many of your experiences where you had a spiritual awakening, there was a moment that you can tell, you can trace back to where your faith came to life. But then from there, it's like, what do I do now? I got to go back to work the next day. Well, the Christian faith is about bringing faith to life, all of life, to every sphere of your life. It's not just a one-time event. It's bringing faith to every aspect of your life. And so our church is on that mission. God is at work in the city um, but my responsibility for the next few minutes is just to make some observations about this really wonderful, powerful passage based on this idea of reimagining Scripture. That's the series you're in for the next two weeks following today. You were started last week with Drew. I listened to your sermon, Drew. It was good. Did you guys hear Drew's sermon? It was good. Responsibility, gift, mystery. Amen. Look at that. Uh, the scriptures are those three things, right? Uh, they're essential. Scripture is hot right now. Uh, you know, I w I'm on vacation. You think I'm kidding? I'm on vacation, right? And I'm like, okay, I need to get into vacation mode because I could just stay in work mode, check Instagram. You know, even Instagram's work, you know? I, I could check emails, and I'm like, I need to do something so old school, so nostalgic that I haven't done since I was growing up. And you know what that is? Sit around and watch music videos, Right? Any millennials here? VH1, MTV? Well, VH1, because my mom, who's over here, raise your hand. Thank you. Uh, always, we always had VH1 on in the morning as we're all getting ready. So we're just listening to all these songs all the time. So I'm like, all right, Apollo and I, my son Apollo, and my wife Leona is here. She's disappeared somewhere. Uh, they're all in the back running around. Grace and family. And um, Justin Timberlake, Meek Mill have a new song called Believe. Right? And I'm listening to this song. Okay, great song, great song. But then at the end of the music video, this woman comes up and reads Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. I'm like, oh, snap. This is right. It was the music cut off and everything. It was 30 seconds of this ancient document, right? Words of Jesus. They skipped a couple parts. But primarily the words of Jesus. I'm like, scripture is hot right now. You can add it to music videos. It's a really hot thing. And so there's this really important conversation that needs to take place. But for some of us, you've been in the church for a long time. You need to reimagine scripture. It's collecting dust. You know, why is your Bible collecting dust? <laughs> That's kind of why this, these four weeks exist. Like, because it's not the, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a heart, right? It's, it's the heart collects dust. And so we don't want to touch, we don't want to touch the Bible. We, we, we want to protect ourselves. And so what's happening there? Because when I read, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures to us? I remember reading when I was living down here, this book called The Pursuit of God. 
uh, by a guy named A.W. Tozer. And in that book, in the first preface, first introduction, he, he, I think he talks about Christians, all Christians around the world. And he uses this phrase, the fellowship of the burning heart. I was like, that sounds sick. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. Where do I sign up? And I thought it was an actual thing that I go sign up for. I can, like, join the fellowship of the burning heart. Like, but it's a, it's a posture. It's a relationship that you have to this, to this book, to, this, to this, these 66 books, right? Um, and so it's really important. My responsibility is to begin to do that a little bit. And so Life Lessons from the Fellowship of the Burning Heart, that's the title for tonight. Um, because don't you want to experience that level of passion for anything? Don't you want your heart, not like heartburn, you know what I'm saying, burning heart, Right? But whether it's for Christianity or not, maybe you're here and you're just like mildly curious about Christianity, you're exploring a little bit. Don't you just want your heart to burn for anything, for someone, for something? I think we all have that instinctive passion to, to have our hearts burn for something more than what we see. Um, and so three places we find Jesus as he helps us reimagine scripture. Three places. And I'm going to do these super quick so that we can get to the table. That's, that's the important part. Uh, we see three places where we find Jesus. We find Jesus with his friends, right? This is Jesus in his resurrection. We find Jesus with his friends. We find him on every page, as he says himself, and we find him at the table, right? So Jesus is found with his friends. He's found on every page, and he is found at the table. Um, so the first 10 verses of this, like 13 to 24, is Jesus revisiting his friends. Now, uh, this is the risen Jesus. We're at the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, right? Jesus is risen from the dead. I skip, if you didn't know that, spoiler alert, Jesus rises from the dead. So we're at the end, and he rises from the dead, and that's where the scene takes place. This is where we start, okay? Now, let me ask you this question. If you were Jesus, and you rose from the dead, how would you spend your time? I mean, just hypothetically, right? I mean, if you were to enter this scenario, and you were Jesus, and, uh, you know, you read the text, uh, the system just crushed him, right? The empire, uh, the leaders, uh, the rulers, both the religious and political system, they just crushed Jesus, Right? And for three days, there's no noise. And Jesus rises from the dead. Trip, right? Now, what would you do <laughs> as soon as you got up, right? Hey, Caesar, we should have a chat, right? Um, think of what you might solve, fix, heal, do. Uh, what I probably wouldn't do is go immediately to the people who betrayed me and who left me, and who stranded me, right? Uh, the disciples, who all scatter, right? Uh, but what Jesus does, he shows us this picture uh, of what God does, which is Jesus, immediately when he raises from the dead, begins to restore relationships with his friends. First plant, step one, right? Uh, Jesus cares a lot about his friends. Jesus cares uh, intimately, deeply, sincerely, passionately about the relationships that he had up until that point and wanted to continue to maintain. Uh, do you remember? Go tell Peter. 
uh, you know, that I'm, that I'm here. Specifically names Peter, right? Uh, Jesus is all about restoring relationships. We find Jesus making things right with his friends. Most important thing. Uh, we find, well, actually, I have a, so the resurrection of Jesus leads to the restoration of all things, and it starts with real people, real relationships. Starts there, right? You know anybody in the 12 steps, fourth, fifth step, then it comes again in like the 10th step. You've got to make amends all the time. You've got to make things right with people. You've got to keep short accounts. It's really important to have deep relationships. And so Jesus is reestablishing these relationships with his friends. And at South End Church, we reimagine scripture in relationships. This is how we do it. And so one of the ways that we do it at my church is actually the text. I didn't have a chance to do it this week because I was on vacation. But the text that I'm going to be talking about, reflecting on on Sunday morning, is discussed, commented on, questioned about on Tuesday before with anybody in my congregation who wants to come. Now, it's at 10.30 on a Tuesday. Now, who can come to that? You'd be surprised. A lot of people in my church can show up uh, uh, at 10.30 on Tuesday, but everybody fills the room, and I cannot tell you how deep and meaningful those conversations are. Those conversations are my commentary. But it's a living commentary. Um, of course, I'll go to the other stuff too, but I start with the relationships that we have because, Pastor Keith, I mean, right? Your sermon is only as good as the people who are here who identify as I'm, I'm at Providencia. I've come to hear a word from the Lord, right? It's about these people. You know, it's not about our books or anything. Right, so Jesus restores relationships, and he's found on every page, right? He, he comes to these two disciples, Cleopas and the other, we don't know the other guy's name, Cleopas and this other disciple, and it says on multiple occasions that they are emotionally, psychologically uh, wrecked, they're downcast, it uses this word downcast, um, they've just lost their best friend and their rabbi and their savior, Right? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. They've just lost their hope. I mean, think of the most hopeless situation you've ever been in. Um, and you're walking away, <laughs> right, from the place you thought it was all about to get better. Seven miles is no easy walk, um, let alone jog or any other version, but a walk is long. Um, and so Jesus shows up, and he's a good pastor. Uh, pastor Keith is is a good pastor, and one of the reasons I know that is because he knows how to listen. I don't know if even early on in my Christian walk, you know, as I'm meeting other pa I don't know if I met a male pastor in my life who really knew how to listen to me, really knew how to listen well. <laughs> um, I heard an amen? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's true, but Pastor Keith knows how to listen well. Jesus comes, he asks questions he already knows the answer to, he doesn't say foolish ones right away. He takes a long time to get to their ignorance, right? He meets them right where they are. He doesn't force them to come to a place that they're not at already. And so, and he does so in a very loving, gentle, patient way. And then he drops the foolish bomb, which is great, right? He, it's also conflicting, right? It's important. And so what is the real question? Jesus says, oh, foolish, you know. Why couldn't you see it all this time? And then he slowly, meticulously, as they're walking, takes them through this journey. Now, the only thing I wanted to say about this 
is when I come to church, I don't get to come to church very often. I'm doing church. But when I come to church or when I open up this book tomorrow morning, I'm opening up this book in light of the pain of my past, the things I've experienced, all of my experiences, and, and the stress and the anxiety of the week that's ahead. I want to know what God is like, right? God, what are you like? Uh, because of, if, if you're going to be loving, I, that's going to be great for me. I want to know what God is like. And so what Jesus has done in our story is that he's taken these two disciples who are downcast, and he has walked them through the scriptures to show them what God is like. But he throws this really interesting nuance, probably for the first time ever written in a book, as it says he shows the things from Moses to the, all the way through the prophets concerning who? Concerning himself. And so Jesus, in a moment, places himself in the story of God as the main character. From Moses to all the prophets, uh, we are new, given new Jesus glasses. We are asked to read scripture through the lens of this friend, this savior, our Lord Jesus, right? He comes alongside and he shows himself uh, in the text. Want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God responds to your brokenness? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God thinks about people in anguish, physical, emotional pain, possessed, oppressed? Look at Jesus. How does Jesus talk to people? How does Jesus relate to people? Look to Jesus. God is like Jesus. Really the second point. And that does one of two things. It comforts the afflicted. And it afflicts the comfortable, doesn't it? Right. God is like Jesus. And lastly, um, Drew's actually doing the table. Not, I'm not. Jesus is found at the table. So this is perfect alley-oop for, for, uh, for the communion service, right? Is that Jesus shows up at a table the end of this passage. He shows up at a table, and what does he do? He reminds them, right? As often as you do this, remember me. And just through the very act, right, through the ritual, the rhythm, you guys do this every week at Providencia, through the rituals, which kind of seem boring, have, are, there's a muscle memory, there's something that clicks, Holy Spirit, a combination of things inside these two disciples where they get it immediately, right away, they understand this is Jesus, and then he disappears. Great. They finally get it, and then he's gone. It doesn't make sense, does it? Right. Unless the emphasis is on the fact that this is Luke chapter 24, that this is the risen Jesus, that he would love to stay and eat, but he's got a lot of other tables to fill and bless and break bread at. The fact that Jesus disappears from that table on that day means that every other week and every other gathering since he appears, Christ is present at the table. That's like one of the oldest promises we have and we cling to is that he promises to be right here. And he does this crazy thing. He keeps putting chairs. He keeps extending the table. It keeps growing. There's always an extra seat. 
always is found with his friends to restore relationships. It is the most important thing, and he models for us that, that being in right relationship is the most important thing, being right. He's found on every page. See Jesus through the lens of these scriptures. Uh, Jesus shows us the way. He is our great interpreter, and, he, and God is like Jesus, his very acts, and he is found at this table. Um, South End Church is a funny place, you know, because, like, uh, I inherited this, this really great church, and I inherited it in a way that it was like, it's running on Windows 95. Let me just put it that way, okay? And, uh, you know, small things take an exorbitant amount of energy in my life, and it's just like, killing, you know, drowning in obligations, these administrative needs, but it's, it's very efficient. But love is inefficient. I don't, know if you, I don't know if that's a secret or not. I don't know if that's a, a code, but that's the truth. Love is unproductive. Uh, have you ever tried to love someone? <laughs> it's nearly impossible, right? And to be loved, I mean, the process is excruciating, but it's worth it. That's why we all do it. But we all try. And so I'm just like running around, Windows 95, trying to like run this church. And, and we were having communion Sunday. We do it once a month right now. We have an English and Spanish congregation. And when we have communion, we have a joint service. Iglesia Comunidad comes and joins us. So it's like, it's awesome. Somos un cuerpo. So we are one body. It's a beautiful experience. And I am responsible for everything. And so I forgot the bread. And I forgot the juice. And I'm like, about to do church. I'm, I'm welcoming everybody. I have to get up and well. And I forgot. Now, Alan Hill has been a part of our church uh, since he was 13 or 14. Alan grew up in the South End. He is like born, raised. Uh, Alan works at Fenway Pack. He helps um, flag some of the cars in. Um, Alan is a legacy member of our community and of South End Neighborhood Church, and he's terrible at PowerPoint. And, um, but that's okay. We love him. Uh, Alan came in on this very Sunday that I'm about to mention to you wearing a black turtleneck and uh, tucked into like light jeans. And I say, hey, Steve Jobs, how's it going? And he says, who's Steve Jobs? And I said, you don't know who Steve Jobs is? And he says, who cares? I said, you're right. I mean, except for everybody's phone that's in their pocket. But, um. I said, Alan, I need you to go get bread. I need you to go get grape juice right away. Got it. He's gone. Like, I couldn't even explain anything else. He comes back, and there's a gap. It's the worship gap. You know, the, you know, there's a, you know the, they're playing, and I'm like, I, I run back to get everything set up. Alan has brought back uh, grape juice. He nailed it. 100% grape juice. Got it down. But I pull out of the bag Pepperidge Farm cinnamon raisin swirl bread. Okay. Let's go. And I look at Alan, and he immediately, like, just looks at me like that. It's the only one they had, which is totally not true. Bodegas have, <laughs> there's no bodega I've ever been to that has one option of bread. But Alan gets the cinnamon raisin squirrel. And, uh, and if you think about it, the raisin is like, the, it's kind of a two for one. You can kind of get it all in one shot if you're smart about it. But uh, I, I, I have a moment, right, that I have to choose. Like, what am I going to do? Well, guess what we had for communion that day? Cinnamon, swirl, Pepperidge Farm, bread. 
And everybody, everybody was just cracking up, including Jesus, right? Because he's at the table with us. And, um, and that's what it's about. Uh, <laughs> it's about what the table does. It's not about what's at the table. You know, um, there's always enough, right? Jesus is good about that, feeding of the 5,000. There's no waste, always enough about what the table provides. Um, it provides deep, intimate relationships with people you might never have been in relationship with before. Uh, three years ago, to the day, I tweeted a, a quote from uh, Padre Gotuma, who does conflict resolution in Ireland, and that quote was, uh, for us, the invitation for us is to go to the edge of our understanding and to occupy that edge. Very loving people, Because in that space, you will become the fuller expression of who you are. And in Christ, we become the fullest expression. Can I pray?